0: hello everyone welcome to another episode of the scratch cinema podcast took a week off but we're back as always i'm joined by my co-host quenelle welcome quenelle
1: ah thank you chase hello
0: unfortunately Quinnell was born which means she wasn't built for any of this <laughs>
1: That is absolutely the truth. I see people all the time, whether they're talking about something as serious as their mental health and just like surviving to like mm, nine to five employment, being just like, I'm not built for this. And I agree with all of it because I wasn't built at all. I was thrust into the world against my will. and (laughs) I'm just dealing with it. So no, I wasn't built for any of this. I regardless of what the antecedent of this is mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> i think you're doing all right even if yeah. we were all just sort of thrust into the world without an idea of what we were getting ourselves into
1: again not getting ourselves
0: <laughs> what we <laughs> were
1: gotten into
0: that's okay. fair there was no sort of <laughs> intent from the beginning
1: <laughs> if there was a consent about this being born thing it was wiped from my memory or like traumatized away by the process of being born either way <laughs> i don't remember agreeing to this
0: speaking of something i don't remember agreeing to the golden globe still happened this year <laughs> it was this past weekend it was the 78th edition of it there was a lot of stuff surrounding it that i'm gonna try and summarize before we get into it Essentially, there was a lot of criticism onto the Golden Globes for a bunch of different reasons. One, their nominations are inexplicably goofy as all hell, as they are every year. Your Emily in Paris coming out of nowhere, snubbing, uh, I may destroy you, stuff like that. Um, it also came out that the Hollywood Foreign Press, probably some very endemic corruption. There was this fantastic Los Angeles Times investigative piece that dove into all of the long history about how they accept bribes essentially and how that led to a nomination like emily in paris where they get flown out to the set and wined and dined and all of a sudden wow it gets a nomination and then one of the other big ones was that there are no black members in the entire organization and it's just interesting because there was the Oscars so white controversy and they did try and diversify their membership But the Hollywood Foreign Press just sort of is like, nope, whatever. And I don't know. I watched it, and I hated myself for watching it. Quinelle, you didn't watch it. Why did you not watch it?
1: I did not watch it because I was not interested in seeing a bunch of celebrities do a Zoom call together. I didn't see the point of watching an event that people couldn't even go to. I just it didn't have any appeal for me. Besides, uh, but there was one uh, pretty comedic moment that did find its way to Twitter. Chase, tell us about it.
0: Well, that was Jason Sudeikis, who was the only person who understood the assignment and showed up to the Zoom call as we all wish we could in a sweatshirt, clearly, clearly baked out of his mind, just sort of hanging out. Don Cheadle was like, gotta wrap it up, man. You're rambling. That was my highlight. And will probably be the image I pick for this episode because... I don't know. The prestige of the event was not really there. You're right. And like, it's all a show. It's all spectacle. But I kind of like trash like that. And this was kind of just like dystopian. There was this really great piece where it was almost like a weird artifact of this time where everyone just tried to pretend everything was normal. But like you said, no one just wants to watch a bunch of celebrities on a Zoom call when we've been doing all those already. And you weren't alone. There was a 60% decline in viewership in every age demographic and i normally don't care about that but that is just like such a steep drop-off that it it would make studios be because the reason the hollywood foreign press is able to like have all this clout is because a lot of people watch it it's a big deal and not nearly as many people watched it and we're still going to talk about some of the content of the things but the show itself was just like
1: mm. i'm not gonna lie the golden globes no offense but maybe some offense are kind of the least entertaining to watch anyway, to begin with. They're not, it doesn't have the same sort of pomp and circumstance of the Oscars, which we know I usually am like kind of impressed with the, the sort of variety of people that they nominate as opposed to, you know, sort of Oscars where you can kind of feel like, okay, that's a shoe in. Um, I feel like I like that things come out of the blue for the golden Globes, but I just don't, I can't imagine wanting to see that
0: you didn't miss really anything we're gonna give all the highlights of it the main one being jason Sudakis, but when it comes to the the categories themselves what did you want to talk about first in terms of what won in terms of what didn't what what was the the big takeaway that stuck out to you
1: um you know what? I'm going to start with the movies that I watched. <laughs> there Go weren't a lot
0: of them because
1: honestly, how the heck was I supposed to know what was going to get nominated this year? And then when I saw the list, I was like, ah, that's a lot of movies I almost watched. Um, anywho, I was very pleased to see um, the lead from I Care A Lot winning an award. Mm-hmm. Because what is her, name? her face. I don't know. <laughs> I do not. You you know I'm terrible with people's names to begin with. Um, She's got that blood blonde haircut. What is her name? Tell us,
0: Chase. No, you're going to have to figure it out all on your own. It's Roseman Pike.
1: Rosamund Pike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so wait, you're happy she won, but you hate her face?
1: Yeah, I, and that's why I'm happy she won. Um, okay. I, I don't remember if I've seen her in a movie before. I probably have. Mm-hmm. Um, she looked oddly familiar, but I really couldn't place her face.
0: She was in David Fincher's Gone Girl. That was her big, big role. I Did you see that? It. Okay, well, then, um, <laughs> then I don't even know. <laughs>
1: yeah, she just... I, honestly, I think it might be uh, 2005's Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, is she in that?
1: <laughs> she is. Um, the point is... That after watching this movie, I really hated her. Like I came to despise this character so thoroughly that when I, you know, I I didn't watch the Golden Globes, but I did watch, you know, the highlights and photos on Instagram and Twitter, social media buzz while it was going on. And I saw her face and she was smiling and I had this like gut reaction that was just angry. <laughs> like pure, pure disdain for this person. And the fact that she managed to embody this character so boldly that I have a full bodied hatred <laughs> for her face. I really felt that she deserved it because it was. it's one of those things with a lot of people who play villains in movies, you know they're doing their job well when you see them in the next movie. And you already think they're going to be a villain. You already dislike them. And I just think that she did a phenomenal job. And I was really uh, happy to see her win, even though it, it still hurts me a little in my gut to see her smile.
0: I was just surprised by it because I think she was good in the movie. I don't think it was her best performance by any means. And the weird thing about the Golden Globes is this is for best musical or comedy performance. And I think it should have gone to the actress from Borat's subsequent movie film. And I know that's a controversial choice, but I think that comedic performance was really underrated. And a lot of people praised it, but going up against, I guess, Sasha Baron Cohen as your co-star... She brought a lot of, like, weird heart and, like, a different edge to the movie while also still doing a lot of, like, really out there kind of fearless situational stuff with Rudy Giuliani, that whole situation. And I I liked Rosamund Pike. I didn't like the movie she was in as much. I think it kind of becomes a separate movie at a certain point when it becomes, like, an action thriller. But I don't know. I was bummed it wasn't a bore out subsequent movie film win.
1: I will say, I do think it's odd that I Care A Lot was even considered a comedy. Yeah, it
0: it wasn't ha-ha was it funny. No. It
1: wasn't, it wasn't, I don't, didn't find it funny really at all at any point. I think point there were moments
0: that, that were inviting dark humor in how it was I, constructed. It was very, like, snappy and kind of, like, airy at times where it was like, oh, we're just, like, stealing all these people's money. Isn't it fun? I guess.
1: <laughs> I... Honestly with the exception of Peter Dinklage's haircut I didn't find any of it funny. I think Peter
0: I... Dinklage was funny. He was always eating donuts and always like having smoothies and like yeah. he would get really angry and throw the smoothie and like his energy was like he was he was very on the edge of his temper all the time. And that made it, it kind felt of...
1: felt like he knew that he was in a comedy.
0: Oh, yeah. But it he also understood. felt like
1: no one else understood that there was a comedy going on. And for the most part, it was just like really terrifying.
0: Yeah, it's a scary prospect.
1: I didn't see Borat's subsequent movie film.
0: I would recommend watching it because it very much felt like it uh, a movie for a new time. It, 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 it adjusted as Sasha Baron Cohen's Worldview has changed as well, and I think it it still works. And it wasn't the same humor for some people. It didn't quite do as much like out there things, but I still think there was like an edge to it that I thought was interesting, not edgy because I think that can be sometimes grating. But there was a little bit more that was pointed in the humor that he was using, and more outrightly critical of certain aspects of misinformation and the spread of. Propaganda online that can very seriously damage the fundamental cores of democracy, and that's why he wanted to release it before the election. So I think there's a lot going on, and a lot is due to the performances. And so, I was bummed. What what was the next thing you wanted to to talk about?
1: Oh well, I guess I wanted to talk about you know Andrew Day winning for the United States versus billy Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie was. I don't want to say terrible.
0: Sometimes it wasn't it quite great.
1: Terrible, but I. She felt... was the
0: best part of it.
1: <laughs> well, I think the performances were good. I really didn't feel like anybody, you know, spoiled it with poor acting or anything. It just felt like, you know, okay. So I read sort of a um interview with Andrew Day, sort of, and she was talking about how hard she had to work to convince, um to convince the director, you know, I'm bad people's names, but to convince them to let her play this character because mm-hmm. she's a singer and she had no previous acting experience, which mm-hmm. is very impressive. She did a wonderful job, but at the same time, I feel like the budget of this film expected her to fail because yeah. half of the film is montage. like,
0: And she's ass. not in it all the time, too. It's montage without her really being present. And yeah. that's what was weird.
1: It's like very like clips of her eating in a restaurant and newspaper headlines. And the first time they do it, it feels kind of important. But by like the fourth time that we're looking at a montage of fake historical photos of them standing in front of a bus, I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. you all are wasting time and you have this amazing asset. Like she's doing a fantastic job. Everyone here is acting their butts off. Mm -hmm. And the directing and the writing just fell short. It was, yeah. it was bad.
0: It was immensely disappointing. And so it's always that weird thing of you give an award for specific parts of the movie. And I think she was good.
1: She was amazing.
0: But the rest of the movie just like really did her a disservice. And I think the biggest takeaway for me, what you're referencing about the montage is when she goes to prison the first time, it shows like her time in prison so removed. You don't get to learn how it impacted her. Instead, it mostly is like, how do the people that put her there feel about this? Mm -hmm. And that was strange, especially because based on the research I've done, it really didn't have her having this much of a relationship with a federal agent. Like, he did get involved in sending her away or implicating her in some way. And then she, like, sent him a book or something, and they danced one time. And there was a rumor that they had an affair, but this takes that and runs with it so much and almost at times makes it about him. And then Billie Holiday is just sort of there. Like the triumphant moment at the end is him sort of saying like, no, she's great though. And you're just terrible, but it's meaningless because then he leaves her there. (laughs)
1: i mean he kind of has to he's fighting with federal agents
0: but but if he really wanted to stick his neck out really have him stick his neck out and then get dragged out of there don't don't half-ass it and have him do this sort of meaningless grandstanding speech that didn't happen and wasn't how it went and then just have him be like well okay ta-ta boys and then walk out the door i don't know i she was good it was a surprise um because it was the most recent movie that came out it had just come out on hulu like a couple days before but i i'm okay with her getting that award i think her performance
1: was really moving yeah
0: and i hope she then gets better not better roles because it was a good role but better movies surrounding her good performance in the future because yeah, this it makes
1: me wonder whether or not she really wants to act, even though she was really amazing. Mm-hmm. I I was left wondering if she just really connected with Billie Holiday as mm-hmm. like a historical figure. And it sort of hurt my feelings that she she then like poured her heart into this and it was just undersold.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was very much defining her by the the trauma that she experienced, which obviously informs us. But like, in in like the performances, because this is a movie about her as a person, but also about how she was a fantastic performer. And the best scene for me is the scene where it's in um, Carnegie Hall and they just let her perform. She gives a little monologue at the beginning that I think is very telling and has like a lot more subtlety going in, in what she says. And then she performs. Every other scene where she like has a performance, it's like intercut with like, or fading to something horrible happening. And I get it, it's the juxtaposition of the beauty of her performance and the turmoil of her personal life. But once it happens for like the fifth time, you're like, just let just let it breathe. Just let her do a performance. There's right. There's sometimes just a simplicity in letting her command the stage. Oh no, we have to see some like really terrible thing happen just so we don't forget there also is horrible stuff going on in her life. I think there would have been more poetry and beauty in letting her have those moments and then it be undercut later. Not literally mid-performance, keep interrupting the scene that's happening. It didn't feel like it had the confidence in itself, which it should. She was good.
1: So I do think that, I mean, I guess the only part of that I'm going to sort of push back on is that I think that it was interesting that they didn't really let her finished a single performance or a single song until she sang strange fruit Mm -hmm. because it felt so much that the movie was about that was just about the things that you didn't see but i think that there's like an assumption here that people know more about billy holiday than they do Mm -hmm. so this idea that oh okay here's all the glitz and glamour that you usually see but right. here's the rest, and it's like, but actually, people don't usually see the first part. And I think for me, the most the thing that stood out the most about that is that in the flashback when she's a child, you know, obviously she was born eleonora and they just never address that ever. It's so, and I know that's yeah. such a small detail, but it's so strange to me that she has this journey of taking on different names, um, mm-hmm. and. They just never discuss it. And there's even a moment at the end where they, they ask her to state her name for the record Mm -hmm. and she states her name is Billie holiday. And it feels kind of odd, kind of like there's a statement there, but they never discussed the way that her identity could be linked to her name. I just feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities. I would completely agree um, with you saying that it just didn't have the confidence in itself
0: at all you know why they couldn't explore more about her identity and name and past history it's because they had to have all those scenes with the journalist leslie jordan (laughs) which was so weird that they started the movie with that because i i wasn't sure what the tone of it was it was obviously that he was like disconnected and like kind of like a a, i don't want to say trashy but he was an entertainment sort of gossip-esque journalist that's what it felt like and she obviously was like really not feeling the interview but it they do it a lot they keep going back to it and i'm like he isn't real based on anything i've found so they yeah. chose this to be the framing device that we like get introduced in the movie we revisit it a couple more times and then it's just gone yeah. so it just felt like a waste
1: I mean that's another one of those parts that makes me feel like they thought that oh you already know all of this because he sort of comes in with this this char- comes in as this character who's like we know the glitzy glamorous Billie Holiday and you're gonna tell us about her aren't you and she's like no I'm actually gonna talk about suffering <laughs> but
0: but then but then nice leave him behind like, we don't need to see it keep yeah, coming back where he's so like, many times yeah and it, it it just was I'm not sure if I meant to be like laughing at his performance and it might be that i'm just more familiar with like the small clips online of leslie jordan and some of the things he said but i don't know it was just it was an unfortunate missed opportunity and yeah
1: i will say that i um really appreciated the supporting characters Mm -hmm. i like that they were able to do so much with so uh, so much. What yeah, with so little, so much telling of the story going on from you know her, her friends, and her stylist, and mm. his clearly openly gay personality, which she realizes just everything that they're doing with their lives right now feels dangerous. Down to who he's openly being, um, and her, you know, a relationship with a woman. It was really. There was just so much that they could have worked with. And instead, I got montages of freeze frames. Cool,
0: cool. And the interesting thing about the stylist is he has one of the the more interesting thematic uh, ideas that he gets to say, which is when it's the diner when she's incarcerated and he's there with the federal agent. And he tells the federal agent that him sending her away is only hurting her more when her drug addiction was primarily hurting herself. So his actions, despite how much he tries to rationalize it about cleaning up the community and like getting drugs off the street, only was like hurting her more when she was already hurting herself, and it clearly has an impact on him. But it n- it never really goes beyond that. But like his delivery and the way he conveys that message is really interesting and good. And then it's just, I don't know, like we don't really know what happens to him. Yeah. Ugh, he feels yeah. bad.
1: If it ended weirdly, similarly to to the end of um, Judas and the Black Messiah.
0: Mm-hmm. But Judas um, and the Black Messiah is much
1: better. I, I mean, it is much better. It just, see, it's one of those odd movies that seemed like it was supposed to be about one person, but it turned out to be about this other supporting character who was there for, like, a little while in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting, uh, I guess, moving on to Judas and the Black Messiah um that daniel kaluuya won for a supporting role
0: yeah it's it's weird but it makes sense because he's not he's not the main character
1: not the movie's not about him
0: uh i would say it's about him because it's the impact he has on other people even if it's not the main character it's all centered around his charisma and aspirations and vision for a world that he wanted to make better and all of these people surrounding him either were buying into it and fully on board and wanting to align themselves with this purpose or they were trying to destroy him and so it was like all centered around his goals in many ways even if he is not on screen for every single second of every single minute he is the one driving the story forward. He is the center of the narrative. And so I think it's good that he won because it wouldn't be nearly the same without his performance in many ways, even as we had the conversation last time about the age differential.
1: Yeah, oh, I'm I'm absolutely happy he's, he won. But I think the more that I sat with the movie, the more I sort of disagree with that, that I don't think that he that his narrative drives the story as much. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you go into a movie that's sort of... More or less, less, more, more than more. Um, a biopic, but you you get this idea that he's sort of being left out, and that there's more time being given to you know this lesser character, this weird relationship. We talked li- last time when we talked about the movie, um, sort of in depth about how many scenes felt like they were wasted with this sort of back and forth conversation that he's having with the federal officer. Which is feels really similar to me as the way that screen time was wasted in Billy Holiday's movie. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of that makes more sense if you don't think of the film as being about them at all, right? I think of it as, be- and I think with Judas and the Black Messiah. I mean, I I said that this at the end of the discussion we had last time. There's a reason it's not called the Black Messiah and Judas, right? And you know, the fact that he won a supporting role sort of cements that for me that at the end of the day, Lakeith Stanfield's character was the driving narrative. It's about how he as a singular person managed to sort of dismantle this man's life, even though he was leading this amazing life, he had sort of a legacy in store and all of Mm -hmm. these plans for changes that he wanted to make. At the end of the day, it's about how this one person can, you know, enter the chat and (laughs) (laughs) and then change everything. Um, and yes. it's interesting to me because so much of it is about his regret and mm-hmm. they sort of have this closing scene where you know they do what they do at the end of movies where they tell you sort of what happened to the people afterwards about this interview that he gave that much of the film is based around and um, how he took his own life after it aired and at the time I, I mean I felt like that was I mean, it's an interesting fact, and it's odd, but when I think of it as being about him and not about, you know, the Black Messiah, then mm-hmm. it it makes more sense to me that way. It's a better film to me that way, too.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I, I think he probably has it on lock, not to get too predictive, but I think he probably has it on lock for the best supporting actor at the Oscars. Okay. I I I just couldn't imagine anyone sort of getting close. My second choice might be I don't know, as long as it's not Jared Leto. That's that's the main <laughs> one. That was my biggest worry. That would have been worst case scenario of of what could have happened. But I think he's probably got it on lock. Um, and I don't you didn't see it. I don't know if you saw it after he was the one who they had a technical glitch where he was like starting talking and like very passionate, but he was already on mute. And that was the first award of the night, so it was off to a great start. It was really funny. He responded to it well, like he was playful afterwards. Um, but oh, it was, man, I it was call of a good. moment. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It. <laughs> uh, what would you like to talk about next?
1: Ah, uh, you're up. Your choice.
0: You're up. Okay, I would like to talk about Minari and it winning for a category that I'm glad it won for, but that is really strange in how it's created for best motion picture foreign language and it's this weird feeling of being happy that it won but also it just being confusing why it was in this category because yes they do not speak english for the majority of the movie they speak korean but there is no set language to the united states there's no establishment that that is what it is to be an american there are plenty of other languages that people speak it was shot in america about the american experience being an immigrant trying to like achieve that elusive american dream and like really trying to delve deep into who that is actually for and it wasn't considered for best picture and that sucks because then it also means that all the other movies that were competing against it don't get the same exposure that they could have if they had had a chance to compete for this and this had been competing in just the best picture category. I don't know cuz awards don't matter except that they grant exposure to underseen films or creators or directors or writers that make great work and this is a way to then kind of either launch their career or begin to make more interesting projects. So that's why I care and I don't know. It was very good. I don't think you've seen it yet, so I don't want to to talk about it too much, but It's it's very good. And yeah, I'm glad it won. I thought his speech was very good because he did the director's speech did pay reference to the fact that it was, I think, miscategorized. But yeah, plenty of other good movies in that category, too. But I, I am thinking that was the best one to win. And it could have competed, I think, against any of the films in the in the best picture category as well. What what other ones would you want to talk about? Or do you want me to do another one?
1: Uh, Yeah, do another one.
0: The one I was the most upset about. <laughs> in a different way. <laughs> Oof. Okay, so I don't hate The Trial of the Chicago 7. I don't. But I don't think it is the best screenplay. I don't. Um, I don't think it's the best directed. I think it's very all over the place. And I think it's Aaron Sorkin's mid-level work and i just am like very confused as to why people really resonated with it and i think it has a lot of his snappy dialogue and like characters really like getting the chance to to really monologue in certain instances but especially the ending of it i feel like it's just very misjudged in tone that i was confused as to why it won i wasn't entirely surprised because it's aaron sorkin Again, some of this is like people not even watching the things that they vote for, but I, I think it was a a bad choice per se. And I, I don't like all of the other choices either. I thought Mank was also mid-level and probably not as interesting as it could have been, even though there's this interesting thread throughout it about the power of cinema and how it can be used for nefarious purposes to like undercut social reforms in interesting ways i think promising young women starts out really interesting and then a few moments towards the end really kind of damage its overall journey even as there's some parts throughout that are also tricky but i think i would have preferred both of those to the trial of the chicago set that's that's what's weird about it i don't know we'll see what the oscars are but i i was disappointed with that category that might have been not the most disappointing one but but probably probably the top for for me when it comes to to disappointing besides i'm not going to dump too much on the crown but i think it was weird how the crown won so many things it felt things. like a lot <laughs> it it won best supporting actress uh for television which was uh is it Gillian or Gillian i think it's Gillian Anderson mm-hmm. as Margaret Thatcher It won, Josh O'Connor was the winner for, I think, the best supporting actor in a, or no, just best actor in a television series, and I really like him, but I don't know, there's other great performances and shows out there, and in a world where, like, I May Destroy You is not in it, I don't know, Mm -hmm. I was just really sour on all of the television categories. The only one I was, like, pretty okay with was... Uh, Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah,
1: King- she was winning for the Queen's Gambit for sure. Like well, as soon as you see it, you're like, ah, well, <laughs> there goes that category.
0: But then there was the the stuff afterwards where I don't know. If, did you see the article and how they identified her? I'm not gonna delve too much on the outlet because I don't want to like go after any specific person that was writing for them. But they identified her as like the first woman of color to win in this category. Which is not correct, and it's not what she has talked about as her identity.
1: This is a harm that comes from just identifying anybody who is foreign as a person of color, first
0: yeah. of all, yeah um
1: <laughs> people who are white in the country that when they come where they come from don't come to America and become of color. This just needs to be fixed, but as it is, that is definitely how a lot of people see it, um and you know she is Latina. But at the end of the day, part of the reason that she doesn't self-identify that way isn't so much that she doesn't see herself as Latina, and she has said that she sees herself as white, but more specifically that she presents as white. And so she has no interest in going after roles that are designed for Latina people that would give more exposure to people who are, I mean, in some ways, limited but are limited to a different category than she is that she she can audition for roles that, you know, are meant for white women because she is a white woman. So it, it's, it's kind of complicated because she is Latina and she does identify that way, but saying that she is of color because she's Latin doesn't really More make sense. Or speaks
0: Spanish like that. Yeah. Or
1: Hispanic. Like yeah. Spani- who are, are Hispanic, but not Latinos and not, And they not people of color, and it, it's just rather muddled these days.
0: (laughs) It was just the wrong term, and I feel like just, uh uh, and maybe this is an argument for why we need copy editors as like another layer of people to look over things, and how important that is because someone should have caught that. So it's not just the responsibility of the person writing it because they very well could have without thinking put things together it's not an excuse but you would hope that there's multiple layers of people to make sure something like that doesn't get published and then sit there for at least an hour before somebody changes it that's
1: true
0: it was unfortunate Uh, definitely
1: i also think it's possible it's possible that like nobody caught it because they really believed that that was appropriate i guess that's my concern is i definitely do know some people who are white and um latino or latina or latinx and they identify as people of color in america and that becomes really complicated
0: but but here's the thing she doesn't though so i don't even know where they were getting it from
1: that's uh, that's (laughs) but that's what i'm saying that if they think consider all people who are latino or latina or latinx to be people of color that's where it becomes a problem Because like this person is telling you that that's not true. You already have this broad definition that suits you. And if you would start talking about this, then you have to start talking about the fact that not all of these people are people of color and who is and who isn't. And not everybody wants to even get into that. It is just easier for it to be everybody who's not white and American or white and European is a person of color. And that's not really the truth. But it's easier than the truth for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, you're right. What would you like to talk about next? Because that I we've we've go you can go listen to our episode about uh, the Queen's Gambit and all the the chess goings on.
1: Yeah, and I love Anya Taylor Joy. I think she does a wonderful job with her big eyes, and that she should stay redhead for a lot of movies. <laughs> she should keep doing that because that is such a vibe for her. I'm sure she'll immediately change her hair back because you know she doesn't want to be typecast, but. she she could be for a while it could be fun Mm -hmm. um we could talk about Nomadland okay which I did recently watch this movie Mm. and within the first three minutes I said this definitely feels like a movie
0: that Chase would like
1: so tell us why you like Nomadland
0: I liked Nomadland because I'm a big fan of Chloe Zhao who also won for best director which was I think the correct choice, um, the way everything is constructed, I think is visually fantastic. There's been some criticism of Nomadland. I buy into it because I think even if it is not sort of always explicit in criticizing the fundamental structural problems that have led to people, because obviously some people choose to live this life, but many have been forced into it. I think it is very about their deeply felt struggles and choices. And there's been a lot of conversation about whether Frances McDormand should have been the character, whether it should have been like her previous movies where she cast non-professional actors and basically had them play versions of their real life. I think the fact that Frances McDormand oftentimes will just sort of be listening to people around the fire telling their stories is an acknowledgement that she knows that too. And I think it worked. I think it was very interesting. I thought it was very free-flowing where she'll just show up in different jobs from time to time where you don't really get a full explanation of how she got there or why she is there. But it's all coming from this place of her trying to recover from immense loss of someone very close to her, of a life that just completely was decimated when Jobs and prospects and a future just all vanished in the blink of an eye, and her trying to recover from that. And in many ways, the road is the best place to do that because it is still a very tough life. It is oftentimes very cold and very isolating, but it is easier for her to work through that. And I connected with that and thought it was really interesting. I think there are worthy criticisms about if the film cooperated with Amazon to be brought into their facilities and whether that sort of papers over some of the real problems with Amazon, I tend to think it shows the problems with Amazon. And even if the big wigs at Amazon are too oblivious to realize it, the fact that they have just people camped out in homes doing seasonal work without any sort of support offered to them, I think is very bad. And that's very telling. And so I think there's more to it. And I particularly enjoyed it. What did you think of it?
1: I also really appreciated Land. I I completely agree with you about the ways in which these sort of stories that are being told by people that I'm not confident are all actors.
0: A lot um, of them are, aren't.
1: Yeah, are just sort of weaved in as they tell you know how they got there and where they are and where they're headed really and what this sort of lifestyle means for them, not just sort of in this moment or or just trying to take care of themselves so there are moments like that um but also what it means for them philosophically because it feels like a lot of people have that sort of drive um i appreciate the way that it's used as foreshadowing on a director's note mm-hmm. i think there are a lot of really lovely foreshadowing moments that are told by people in a very casual way it's sort of mentioning so that there's a, a person at the beginning who's talking about their tattoos and the one that's sort of focused on the last one that they say is really meaningful to them is asking about home and whether or not it's something that's carried with you in that first moment I was like oh wow that's (laughs) that's just going to speak to the rest of the film and I'm a big road trip person I don't know if you guys know this but I've been across the country at least six times Mm -hmm. maybe more I'm not going to count right now, but a lot of times. And it's really, it was really fun to sort of sit um, with my boyfriend and sort of talk about the locations that we recognize, because there are some that I I saw and immediately I knew I'd been there. It's mm-hmm. Like, oh, where is that on the road? I have photos from there. I'm looking through my pictures, trying to find the exact location. Um, and then working at national parks, I really thought that it was an honest look at what the country looks like and also what people on the road look like and how they're they're all on their different missions. I think Mm. she did a fantastic job sort of embodying the freedom that comes with the road and how it juxtaposes being in a home, just a stationary home. And I think her character sort of shifts even around those places. So when she goes, she has to get money from her sister because she really wants to fix her van and her sister is sort of frustrated with her and practically demands that she comes all the way there to get the money. And as soon as she gets there and is talking with these people, you just see that she doesn't fit in and she's not comfortable there. And even though she has a family and she has some place that she could be that it doesn't have the same freedom that mm-hmm. where she was an empire being able to look out at the world had, or where she, how she is in her van. And similarly, when she goes to, to visit her boyfriend kind of and his family and he decides to stay and she wants him, he wants her to stay with him. She just sort of feels trapped there. And it's interesting to me because those moments sort of, especially with her boyfriend that they're, they're on the road, they're, Seeing different things, they're visiting parks and standing on rocks, she has almost like a childlike demeanor, the way she sort of waves with her her wrist limp or the way that she like you know feigns being frightened of this snake and you know it's sort of real but also just childlike in every way, and I just thought that she did a phenomenal job, sort of bringing all of those elements together as an actress. She was a great choice.
0: Mm -hmm. The one thing I will say that I've always tried to like be reflective on is do I think the movie is sort of uh, poverty tourism where you can view this like lifestyle from like a safe distance, but like sort of just be like, see, like the triumph of the human spirit, they're all fine. And then you sort of leave and feel good about it. To me, I didn't leave this movie (laughs) feeling good. I ended up feeling very, very sad and a sense of loss over it that there is this immense strength that they have but it is still that they have to and the the scene you were referencing where she goes home to her sister it's it's been used in all the trailers where it's like her sister refers to her as like the next great american pioneer but her reaction to that i think complicates that because yes there is this freedom that comes with this but it's not without a cost there is a personal burden that comes with it it's it's physical in that they don't have access to the same health care and benefits and some of them their social security is not enough to cover their living expenses and i think that is something that is important to like remember in the context that there's this immense beauty and freedom and joy that these people have carved out for themselves but there still is this more complicated aspect of loss and tragedy that is constantly in battle back and forth and that's what i think makes it morally complex and and really interesting to reflect on um
1: it's really odd for them to use that sort of clip for the trailer because yeah when uh, you're watching the movie that when her sister says this i don't think that her the character is actually trying to say that i think she's trying to defend her yeah because it's sort of this awkward moment where she's just calling out these real estate agents for selling people homes that they can't afford for being part and being of the, the
0: harbingers of the collapse. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And more than anything, she's, she's attacking their lifestyle and talking about the way that it indirectly causes all of these other hardships that she's witnessed up close and personally, and that mm-hmm. they get to be distanced from in their literal ivory tower and I, so I, I do think that's really interesting and it's not i don't think it glorifies that lifestyle in any way there's so much loss and so much grief it's just in when it's like everyone's story
0: When it's like taken out and like just put in like a trailer with like inspirational music, it's like see everything's great. And I'm like, there are good aspects and hopeful moments, but everything is very much not great. There is still like a lot of struggle going on.
1: But it's also everything's not great everywhere. Like it's not just on the road where you can see all of these people. It's also in places that feel safe and paid for that are causing this problem. Mm -hmm. Everything's not okay where you are either. So in that way, I. It it is it, sort of poverty tourism, but at the same time, it is about sort of consequences—the consequences of the lives that people lead. So, yeah, where the tourism the her, is your home.
0: Her sister's family and that life does not come without other people also struggling. It's it's not something that can happen in isolation, and so bringing those two together is is important. I don't know. I just struggle. I don't
1: know. This is kind of comedic, but um, does it, does it feel like to anyone else? This is a question to the audience that like the only people who aren't struggling are in real estate. (laughs) I just, I just need to say that out loud because every time I talk to somebody who is doing just fine and not concerned, they are in real estate. Everyone else who buys a house or is renting or anything is having an incredibly hard time. And the only people who are getting out unscathed are people selling houses at ridiculous prices with ridiculous bonuses. And I've just, it is frustrating as a fellow poor.
0: (laughs) I think that's the thing that's like, because I think there are a lot of important criticisms because there were some people who like, uh i think made these ridiculous arguments like there was this piece criticizing the aspect of how it portrayed amazon and whether it was too cooperative with amazon and whether we should ask about that and i think that's important questions if someone's response to that is like oh this is like uh just a classic like award season hit piece i think that's stupid yeah, i think you should be able to have Conversations about the representations in the movie, and I enjoy those conversations. The movies I love the most, I like reading all of the criticism about it. I like hearing why people have issues with it. And if that makes me think more deeply about it, I sometimes will come around to their side or I'll reflect on it and go, You know, I hear that, but I think there's more going on. It never is like a bad thing. I don't think we should, because even though we're talking about awards movies, we shouldn't like treat it like a game I think art and storytelling is more about the meaning and the ideas that are underneath it all and robust discussions and criticisms and debate back and forth is valuable and to like criticize someone as like just being like you don't want it to win an award so you're writing this hit piece as if people didn't genuinely think that or have those concerns it implies that they're making an argument in bad faith and I think that's just that's just not necessary. No one is going to like be mad at you for liking the movie. They're just going to raise some concerns and criticisms about it. And I think that makes the discussion better and good.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Amazon point, I do think it's interesting that they've managed to get to shoot in a real factory. Well, Francis th-
0: McDormand pulled some strings, apparently. Yeah.
1: But I also think that... Um, I don't think it lets Amazon off scot-free, but I do think that there's this sort of mirrored effect in the fact that amazon is practically the only business that is uh, portrayed that can manage to pay their employees fair wages Mm -hmm. and you know in one way it's definitely a criticism of amazon for all the reasons you said just these seasonal workers who are just waiting for the chance to make fair pay and the only way they can is working for you know, monster Amazon. But Over the, on the
0: holidays th- on ridiculous hours without housing. Yeah.
1: Exactly. But on the other hand, you also have this problem where it is incredibly hard to find work these days for people who are, I mean, I don't know even say for people who are considered unskilled laborers. Like she has, And first of all, no labor is unskilled. Second of all, she has experience working traditional jobs. She has several years of HR experience and the fact that people who you know played the game that is America and jumped through all the hoops and are supposed to be qualified to be able to work aren't able to find work that pays a fair wage is absolutely appalling and -hmm. i know this firsthand (laughs) you can have a degree you can have experience and nobody cares and you are literally better off working a seasonal job at amazon and that shouldn't be the case
0: Mm -hmm. it's 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 like bigger than them yes but they are all very much have their own yeah. yeah they have their role to play and so i i agree i think there is not in any means a papering over of some of those things it might not be as robust as some people would hope but i think that is a reason to watch documentaries or things that break down the point by point of it because i just don't think that's quite what this movie was going for or no. was going to be um not that i don't think you could push it to be more uh openly critical of it um, I know I'd read an interview where Chloe Zhao said she didn't want this to just be a documentary that offers a criticism of American capitalism. She wanted okay. it to be a character driven story. And I think she didn't say it isn't a a criticism of those things, it's even if it's a little that. more subtle. Yeah, it's it's broader than that. Um, and I think at the end of it, I especially with like the final shots with her just looking at like the devastation of a ghost town that was her former life, mm-hmm. I think makes that impossible to to not come away feeling something from that um.
1: uh also this movie gave me baby fever and, oh boy.
0: why um, I, oh and because you, of the baby towards the no, end No,
1: <laughs> there are two scenes there's the baby yeah there's the baby scene actually the baby wasn't incredibly charming terrible choice anyway <laughs> it was not the cutest baby but it was, it was fine it's a fine baby whatever he was babying whatever point is there's this really depressing moment and i don't mean to you know what? No, I'm not going to defend this. So just you know, don't don't take it personally. To anybody who doesn't want kids, this isn't about you. Um, <laughs> this is about the fact that she has this moment where she's talking about why she stayed in Empire for so long. And when her sister asks her, she is not answering this question. She's like, "I never got why you stayed in that stupid town," and she's just not telling him about this. But when she starts talking to that older man who lost his son, um, she tells him that because they didn't have any kids, that when her husband died. It felt like if she left, that there was just going to be nothing left of him. It was going to be like he never existed and It just broke my heart, mm-hmm. <laughs> not that I felt like, oh, they should have had children, but just this idea that you can really build a life with somebody, and if you don't basically create a human that you could just lose them and not have anything of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you know that presumably their parents aren't alive but you know you can just not see them every day and when you mm. have kids you do kind of get to see them every day
0: there's a and, remnant of who they were
1: yeah you see you see bits of their personality and bits of you know their literal face in a child and it really made me it made me really sad my mom has this thing where she calls um her kids and her grandkids her immortality which we all think is very cheesy um but she really feels this way that like you know <laughs> that our generational lines will keep her from really passing away and we think it's silly but when she put it in that sort of frame in the film I really understood sort of the gravity of that and what mom really means by that Mm -hmm. it made me very sad and gave me baby fever
0: I want to kind of jump off of that a little bit and it's it's similarly sad but it it was a moment that i had wanted to recognize that i thought was genuinely amongst kind of all the shallowness of it like a real emotional human moment chadwick boseman won for ma rainey's black bottom Mm -hmm. and he obviously died suddenly way too soon and the the moment when his wife uh Taylor accepted his award on his behalf and spoke very openly in a way that requires a real strength, but also just a real compassion for all the people that obviously connected with him. And she shared a lot of him with people because in many ways, she didn't have to do that and it probably was difficult to do that but in in the midst of an award show that was kind of just very shallow hollywood stuff this felt like a real human moment of her trying to like pay respect to him and and share a memory of him with all the people all the kids that that looked up to him and respected him that was that was that was like the speech that i would say would be worth kind of listening to even as it was very tough her and Jane Fonda, which that is a compliment to both of them respectively, because they both were the standout speeches of of saying something really profound and actually meaningful that stands out amiss all the sort of nonsense of, of an award show that I thought was was worthwhile um and really impactful.
1: Uh, speaking of souls,
0: oh, <laughs> you want so, to talk about soul? Like,
1: <laughs> but if, yeah, I was like, here's a segue. Um, just this last moment, I was really happy that it won. Mm-hmm. uh Though I still think that black and brown representation has a long way to come. Go in animated films. I think that Soul was so fun to watch. Just sort of walking through this man's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it gets kind of ridiculous and. Uh, maybe a little offensive if you're touchy, um, <laughs> but it is a kid's movie, so that's what they do. They, for a moment, they have to devolve completely into chaos or kids aren't just, aren't going to be that interested. But for the most part, I think it is a beautiful film and you <laughs> really have to just see it to understand. But, the- you yeah,
0: And the ending really hits you where it's like about not just your ambitions in life, but sometimes the quieter moments with family, with friends, with loved ones that I thought really hit hard. Mm -hmm.
1: It's the people you touch with your life, even if you don't feel like you're doing what you set out to do.
0: And it's not always about reaching that goal of sort of achievement, because you might never get those things. And even if you do, you don't want to sort of have missed all the things along the way. I don't know.
1: So Miley Cyrus once so honestly saying, um, it's the climb.
0: Yes. That was exactly what I was thinking too, (laughs) Cornell. It did also how
1: could you not be?
0: (laughs) It also went for score. And I think I think that was a good choice as well. Um even though even though I didn't like the movie Tenant, the score for Tenant was very good. I think that would be a close second. But competitive. I did like that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross were like. I think one of them said like, "This is the only score that I've worked on that my kids can actually watch because <laughs> they've like done David Fincher like real scary stuff." So
1: that's nice. Yeah.
0: yeah, that was cute. Are there any closing thoughts on any of the the things we've talked about before? I talk about just a real couple quick movies coming out.
1: Um, nope, that is going to be all for me. I just happy to get to watch a few of these movies and excited to go back and watch a couple more that i still think deserve review um mostly the subsequent movie film
0: okay we will we will have another chance because there will be another award show coming up soon (laughs) whether we like it or not
1: (laughs) please uh, i hope they don't televise it
0: they're gonna televise it (laughs) what god
1: i'm serious i know that that's like an unrealistic thing to ask but more than anything i want them to just cancel it I would rather watch a slow montage of everybody's <laughs> instagram photos in the dress they wanted to wear <laughs> to the score from best from from best score just just that and the score that won and that that would be fine with me because there's no way this is going to be good okay new movies
0: in a world of new releases it can be difficult to find out what is good and what isn't That's why your host sorts through all the noise and chaos to find out what you should spend your time and money with. This is Cutting to the Chase. One of the first ones I was going to reference is we're going to start on a real serious note, and it's called The People versus Agent Orange. And if that conveys the title enough, we know that it's going to be about the still long generational impacts of the Vietnam War, of the chemical warfare that was used there. But it also is really interesting in portraying how there are legal fights going on to gain some sense of, of justice for these past crimes and past atrocities. And I would highly recommend it. I talked with the the directors. I think it is a little bit All over the place at some times, but I think the intentions behind it and the information provided draws together all these different groups of people from the Pacific Northwest to to France to Vietnam that are all trying to bring greater attention to this issue that is still impacting people's lives. Then the next I was going to reference is the new Disney animation movie, which, okay, it's called Raya and the Last Dragon, and I like it. I want that to be something I say at the jump. (laughs) It is very much a we have to go to a place to get a piece of a dragon gem, to go to this place, to go to this place, and it's like plot conveniences. And it's quite literally the journey was the friends we made along the way. It's
1: a kid's movie. It is a
0: kid's movie. And here's the thing Uh, to praise it, I think there's a deeper reflection on the nature of humanity and our own internal capacity for self-destruction and evil, because it is about these different groups of people that are all fighting amongst themselves and oftentimes causing their own discontent. The, The setting off of the apocalyptic world is their initial inability to work together and a betrayal that happens. And so kind of building back from that is interesting, I think it still is particularly conventional in some aspects. I think some of the humor doesn't always work particularly well, even as I like Aquafina quite a bit. I think her shtick kind of starts to get a little bit too much. I think they could have balanced it a little better with her emotional performance as the dragon that feels naive but is still trusting of a world, but only because she has been vanished from it for potentially generations but I thought it was very good. I think it's not going to be one that quite has the same lasting power, but I think there's a lot of interesting things going on in it that made me still be engaged with it, even if I almost wish the ending was less spectacle and more substance. It's a very beautiful spectacle. All of the individual places that she goes to are very distinct and interestingly animated and with their own sort of layout and design. All of that stuff is really interesting I just was like hoping that it could have taken that little extra leap, but that little extra leap might have been a little bit too, I don't want to say courageous, but a little bit too risky. And it might have still been trying to be a little risk averse because it's about making that money a little bit. That's kind of what it felt like. It was like, we got to still be the same formula. That's the tried and true thing that then inoculates us in this ball of nostalgia that then people will just cuddle up with and watch and buy all our merchandise and all the toys i'm a little
1: wild that they're still selling nostalgia because you can sell things to real children now
0: but i know but it's like it's like following the similar beats
1: i know it's just so strange to me that they do that because the kids don't know the beats you could write but their new parents
0: dude they want to get their parents to watch it as well and there's like one or two jokes that for parents i thought were like pretty good but yeah I just think that that's still interesting to fit a mold that already works, but you can make new molds. But
1: yeah, I get it. Um, On the other hand, really excited about uh, all of the great representation that's in this movie. Stoked for that. Just had to say it. And also, um, also excited for Alan... is that how you say his last name yeah
0: he's not he is a voice actor in it but he's like just making noises
1: (laughs) i just happy he's in it i don't know why he's in there (laughs) but i used to watch my dollhouse and i
0: was very pleased with it he's the animal sidekick
1: (laughs) (laughs) of course he is dollhouse and firefly and a Night's tale really excited about just hearing him his weird noises love kelly marie tran don't know how aquafina landed this gig but i'm really happy for her right i just i'm excited benedict wong it's just sandra oh just a lot of great representation all
0: the voice acting is is pretty solid because i think voice acting performances is a different performance than just acting and sometimes casting Mm -hmm. actors can just be like well we want a big name but i think everyone commits fully to their voice acting i really do and i think that's what made it interesting um and i think the the visual design is very cool i like the opening scenes where she's just riding along through this desert and it's just vast and it's been like i think at least six years of her just like seeking this out i almost wanted to know more about that past because then it very quickly is like oh and then we gotta go to the place and go to the thing and it felt very like plotted out where it's like boop 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 i i know it's asking too much but you remember wally where it's just him like in his little thing yeah but, I mean, have... We didn't
1: get that much of him doing that either. But
0: I know, but there was something. I feel yeah, like there was. could have been some more grappling with some of those ideas, but it's okay. The last one I was going to reference is this documentary called Stray, which is about, partially as an entry point, the stray dogs of Istanbul. Because essentially, it's that all of these dogs, at one point, were being rounded up to either be euthanized or just taken off the streets. But the people were opposed to that and so now there's no restrictions on them. They are not allowed to be taken off the streets so they just roam free. But it's not really about just the dogs because I think it's been like, you'll drool over this movie or like weird puns and it's like, let's get the dog lovers in. It's about the dogs being an entry point into looking at the people who are also oftentimes the outcasts of their own society. There's this group of children that are living in an abandoned building and are trying to reflect on what they're going to do there. And you sort of just get to sit and listen with them. And a dog is just going to sit there and not really do anything, but you're going to be there with them and hear what they're going through, hear their perspective. You see small glimpses of protests and people reflecting on their futures and what their lives will be like. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in there. And that's what made it more than just about let's put a camera in a dog's face and see what they do for an hour or more. There's a real interesting kind of emotional, sociological study that's happening, even as it's not really a talking head documentary where they explain everything that's going on. You just are experiencing it with the people. You are in the streets with them, roaming around, just kind of learning things. And I thought that was very interesting. On that note thanks everyone for for joining us thanks Quinnell, as always that that was fun we just talked about a whole bunch of stuff
1: <laughs> it was and i hope you all enjoyed it uh thank you for listening to us and hearing us and we will talk to you next week Bye, all. bye